Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. So here we go. So we're on John chapter 6 today. So let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you are with us. You're with us today. You're with us here in England. And I know you're with us wherever we go. Lord, so we just want to, we want to invite you into our day into our lives today in a massive way Lord we pray that we will meet with you today whatever we're doing and we will find you the living water the bread of life Jesus we love you amen good morning Kathy Ruth Chris Mike and Pat great to see you guys so uh John chapter six after this Jesus went so he'd yeah so he'd been having this long theological discussion happening with people about judgment and oh my who would prefer that this was not a topic that the bible goes into but it is and we have to face it and deal with it and we put our confidence in the fact that Jesus is our judge and he loves us and that's why he came and so this is this is just an incredible um it's kind of daunting this prospect Um, But at the same time, we know that Jesus is our advocate as well as our judge. And as he sits there as our judge, we look at him and he has the nail prints in his hand, which testify. They shout and declare how much he loves us. That's amazing, isn't it? So, right, John chapter six. (laughs) Let's get on with it. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Well, to be really honest, if anyone was healing people at the level Jesus was at this time, if anyone was doing that today in England, it would be on breakfast news. It would be on lunchtime news. It would be all over the Twitter sphere and Instagram and everything. It would just literally be a phenomenon, wouldn't it, with people coming from all different nations no doubt within a few hours to get healed when they so no wonder Jesus had a big crowd following him and so they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick and Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples now the Passover the feast of the Jews was at hand it's interesting that John refers to these feasts as feasts of the Jews I don't particularly know why he makes that distinction, but it's kind of maybe helpful um, for Gentile audiences to understand that these feasts were pretty important. They were major punctuation points in the Jewish calendar and still are to this day. And so there's a whole big gathering um, coming into Jerusalem, no doubt, at this time. Anyway, so... The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand and lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him because you can he went there with his disciples and suddenly there's this sea of people following him and turning up 
up there on the mountainside. So lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, some of the other gospel writers say that he'd been teaching them all day before he kind of says, oh, you know, um, what about tea? <laughs> who's, providing the, who's providing the food today? Who's in charge of catering? And uh, so <clears throat> anyway, so the gospel writers, they emphasise different details and this account from John is a little bit different to some of the others. Let's read it, see what he says. So uh, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? And he said this so that the people may eat. And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus is a teacher. Teachers set little tests for their students, don't they? And rabbis, no doubt, do the similar things for their disciples and um, doctors and consultants ask the junior doctors, right, what are you going to do now? How are you going to fix this problem? What's this person presenting with? What is our what is our approach? What would your approach be, Dr. So-and-so? And his young junior doctor's like, uh, uh, and or yes, I know exactly what to do. All my training suggests, boom. And, and so this is how we learn, isn't it? So he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Morning, Anne. Morning, Sally and George. So Philip answered him, 200 denarii, or denarii, I don't know how you pronounce that, worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. So a denarii is a day's wages at the time. So 200 days pay, like two thirds of a person's annual income would not pay for this. Um for each one to get a little bit. So, gosh, this is a difficult, what are we gonna do? Um, one, of the, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. Interesting, isn't it? So they were in this grassy area, which lent itself very well to a picnic. And Jesus says, right, get everyone sitting down. Well, what if they got to eat? <laughs> They've got five barley loaves and two small fish. The word there for fish is a small kind of fish. It's a little kind of like, I don't know whether it's bigger than an anchovy, but it's about the size of a sprat or something. Tiny little fish. It's not, anyway, whatever it is, it's poor people food. Barley bread is not as valuable as wheat bread it's not got the same protein content it's not as it's not as nutritious these are five barley loaves they're kind of a poor person's lunch and two small fish a little bit of fishiness omega-3 and whatever else and it's like he's holding it up to jesus and saying yeah this is what we've got look great what are these among so many how are we going to possibly do this? So Jesus says, right, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Now, some people have said, well, if there were 5,000 men, there were probably another 5,000 women and maybe another, I don't know. They, people estimate that by the time you've got women and children factored in, you might have as many as 15,000. 
It's interesting though that it's called the feeding of the 5,000, so maybe it means men and women, and let's be happy. It's still a miracle, isn't it? Whether it's 5,000 or 15,000, who even cares? I mean, it's just a miracle. Well, a big miracle is as same as a small miracle. They're both impossible. And <laughs> here we go. So Jesus is going to feed all these people. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. This is incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a miracle. This is the stuff Jesus does. He takes limited resources and multiplies them. Jesus's version of mathematics is you multiply by dividing, which actually is fairly biologically sound in the in the realm of cell biology cells multiply by dividing and Jesus is just deploying an idea he had when he created the world so he's like wow I, I, I do this this is my stuff this is what I do I create by the word of my mouth I create by dividing something and multiplying it morning Shep morning Angela great to see you guys and so but this, what, hold on, let's, let's just finish off the story and then I'm going to make a couple of points. And so he distributed it to those who were there, who were seated. So also the fish. I mean, I just imagine, I mean, me, right, I have to visualise, I have to imagine I'm there. I have to imagine I'm one of the disciples. What am I going to do? I've been given this fish. It's a little thing, like tiny, that looks bigger on my screen. <laughs> a tiny little fish. And he's going to somehow... What's he going to do? Is the disciple going to hand the fish and then there's another one in his hand? Or does he think, oh, I better tear this fish in half and it's like, oh, the skin's come off and it's slimy and gosh, I <laughs> who gave me this job? And and then suddenly, like, there's more. How does it happen? Do they multi... Oh, man, I would love to see at what exact point the multiplication took place. Did they tear the bread and still had bread, they give it away and they still had bread in their hand. How did it, oh man, I would love to have been one of those guys. It would have been like a steep learning curve, but I think it would have been a huge adventure. You would never forget it, would you? And there's something about when God does multiplication miracles, we never forget it. When when we've got a bunch of people coming and we've got a limited amount of food and we're like, oh no, I wasn't expecting them. What am I gonna do, Jesus, help? Let me tell you a little story. Absolutely true. Back in the day when my dad had the forge and my brother and myself worked for him, um, then he died and the business was left in the hands of my brother primarily and I was going up um, a couple of days a week and working with him and helping him support him and so on. And we had an apprentice. Well, when dad died, it wasn't necessarily directly connected with it, but the business was going through a bit of a challenging time and we had run we had um every i think week or two we would have a delivery of gas in bottles oxygen and acetylene we needed it every day to use the oxyacetylene torch to cut the steel up and so it was pretty important we had gas we needed a good supply of gas and so it was just one of those consumables we were using all the time and one day we noticed that the needle on the dial was empty on the 
on the gas bottles. And so we were like, oh no, we've run out of gas. But we would turn the gas on on the torch, spark it up and use it. And it just carried on. And so we never, instead of having a, having to order more, we didn't. We just, because we didn't have any money, we couldn't order any more. So we didn't, but it kept coming. And the apprentice, who was not a believer, and not a, not a bona fide, I follow, I'm following Jesus, we started calling it God's gas. And week after week after week, the apprentice would say, oh, I'm just going to use a bit of God's gas and spark it up and off we go. And, and my Andrew, my brother and I, we would just laugh. And it was just this great moment of God's provision because there was none in the bottles. <laughs> They'd been empty for months and we kept using this gas and it still showed empty. <laughs> so good. Anyway, God is good. And so he loves to do, we never forget those miracles. They become part of our kind of, um, part of our, I don't know, who we are in God. They become part of our history, part of our identity. And so the if we were to try to take Jesus's method and by using the scientific method, reproduce it. So we would take all the exact ingredients. We get out on a hillside somewhere in Judea and where there's a lot of grass and we get like 5,000 people and we'd sit them all down and we'd have five barley loaves and two small fish. And we'd say, right, here we go. Here's the miracle coming right up. And we and we pray and say, oh God, thank you for this miracle. Here we go. And we do the same, the same thing, Jesus. Guess what? It probably wouldn't happen, would it? Because God is not, he, th this isn't a scientific method recorded by a scientist in a laboratory for us to reproduce using the same ingredients and the same method and come up with the same results to corroborate it. So we can say, yes, that works. We have it written down here by, I think three of the gospel writers record the um, feeding of the 5,000. Some of the others, there's another one called the feeding of the 4,000. They corroborate. But what we do have here is a principle that we carry with us as we walk with Jesus. So as a disciple of Jesus, we understand that he's able to multiply physical things. When we're in a spot and when he wants to, he can multiply our resources. And so even when our resources are seriously depleted or down to nothing much, we have account after account in the Bible of that happening. But Jesus is the multiplier. He's the multiplying factor. And when we're this is the point of the story. This is why it's here that we understand that God is Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. And Jesus is demonstrating that incredibly. And so he's putting his disciples through a multiplication, multiplication class here and there in their little rabbinical school they've got going, which is amazing. So lesson for us is don't try and reproduce this and use the same, try and get the same results. Let's wait and let's pray that when we're in a situation where we need faith and multiplication and everything we just have that courage to step out and trust God in it and watch him do the miracle.
And sometimes we just need to give our limited resources to him and just say, yeah, I that was so cool, wasn't it? There's my brother up there now. He will corroborate the story of God's gas. It was just amazing. It was just a real classic one and God just showing his love for us even though dad had died and we were a bit on our own we were feeling vulnerable God is with us and he's kept us hasn't he so anyway the decide so all the crowd understandably were pretty excited they hadn't expected a picnic they had they hadn't expected a miracle of provision they'd come eager to get healed They'd been caught up in the moment they hadn't planned and they hadn't. But God isn't like grumpy because they haven't planned. Jesus is happy because this this situation provides him yet another opportunity to demonstrate his glory and demonstrate his identity. And they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So there they oh, wasn't that a great meal? Yes. Oh, he must be the prophet. I mean, he's my kind of prophet. That is an amazing meal. Anyway, so there, everyone feels better when they've had something to eat. And I'm sure your spiritual <laughs> spiritual discernment may go up a bit. Although the fasters would say <laughs> perhaps something different. Anyway, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So he's not ready. He, he doesn't want them to seize him and make him king and crown him in this kind of pinnacle of popularity and favour he has other business to attend to and he's not ready for this so he's not this isn't his moment right let's press on verse 16 when evening came his disciples went down into the sea or down to the sea got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing and when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. <laughs> Whoa, here I am walking on the water. Don't be afraid, guys. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. I should imagine they were. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So it seems the story is that they were halfway across the lake. Jesus gets in the boat and suddenly they're at the other side. That's pretty neat. That's like heavenly transport with a whole boat as well. It's not just a person arriving in a place they hadn't they haven't travelled to, but they're just suddenly there. But it's actually a boat full of fishermen and a Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So, but um, I'm and once again we have some discrepancies in the stories with the other um, accounts of this. Um, event but the point is that John remembers different details I'm sure the fact that he left out Peter's walking on the water moment probably got him in trouble with Pete I'm sure Peter said oi John what's this I see in your book you've left me out you didn't record my miracle that was my that was my big moment and how dare you I'm sure it was like a bit of banter but I'm sure he did get some comeback on that from Peter because he's already claimed to be the faster runner than Peter, what he does at the end. So I'm, I don't know whether there's a bit of banter between the two guys. Anyway, um, so this is yet again another incredible moment and lots to teach us from this. If Jesus says go to a particular place 
we can trust that we're going to get there. We can trust that if he's sending us into a situation that looks intense or difficult, he's going to be with us in it and he'll meet with us. And really, Jesus arriving in the boat is a bit like a sort of Gandalf moment where in, in the um, Lord of the Rings, I shouldn't make the comparison, but you can't help it really, because Gandalf turns up when the hobbits are in these tricky spots and helps them out. Jesus doesn't leave us in the middle of life storms and trials, but he comes in the darkest hour of the night and gets in the boat. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. Wow. He comes and gets in the boat with us, doesn't he? How many of us have how many of us have experienced that? Just do a little like or something if you've experienced that Jesus getting in the boat at the darkest hour of the night when you're feeling the most embattled and challenged by your circumstances. Right, here we go. Verse 22, he says, On the last day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread and after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Well, by then, one assumes a storm had stopped. So they're all going looking for Jesus. Where is he? They worked it out about the boats and stuff, and they're going to go and find him. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So they saw that Jesus didn't get in the boat. But when he, when they got to where the disciples had gone in the boat and Jesus was there, they're like, hold on. How did you do that? What's going on here? We're, we're not really comprehending all that you're up to. And they're trying to fathom this Jesus and he's got so many so many things up his sleeve hasn't he for them which is amazing such an adventure walking with Jesus is such an adventure and he says truly truly I say to you you are seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves and he's detecting oh you guys are showing up for a free lunch that's not quite the point of why I'm here. And then he says, verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Right, this is really, really important. There are a lot of people working jolly hard to make money, to make a living, to, and in this day, and more as much as ever, there have always been times like this in history, but in our particular situation, with our particular economic um, challenges and the cost of living and everything else, there is a pressure and a tendency and in a kind of drivenness that comes over us to work all the harder to get overtime do extra work all this kind of stuff to pay the bills and Jesus is actually listen 
don't just work to get food because that that will perish. They, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So he's saying even in economically difficult times, there is a bigger priority than filling your belly with food. In fact, anyone who had been with him on that day of him feeding them must surely have understood that God is able to provide even with meager resources to hand. Right. And he's saying, actually, I want you to prioritize something else. I want you to prioritize that which is eternal, which doesn't perish and doesn't fade away. And Jesus said, so they're saying, well, how do we do that? What, what what must we be doing then to be doing the works of God? And he says, this is such a simple word. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, John will continue to bring that truth home and to really push that truth home. The simple requirement of God is to believe in Jesus, the one he has sent. That's not just think, oh yeah, I believe Jesus was real. I believe he was a historical character. But like I've said before, and I will keep saying it, it's to believe in him and receive him into our hearts and say, Jesus, let what you did count for me. If you've not done that, please be that person who today gets before God and says, Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe your death covers all of my sin and makes me acceptable to God. And I turn my heart over to you today. Have an amazing day, you guys. I hope to chat with you from Ukraine, but there will be no sauntering for a couple of weeks. I will let you know when we're about to start. Have an amazing day. God bless you wherever you are.